Saying low, Apple Music. If you, like me, are a Weezer fan, then it has been quite the ride. From the first album, the Blue Album, that came out and blew up out of nowhere, right through to one of the most experimental, and let's be honest, awkward masterpieces, Pinkerton. And this will he, won't he return from higher education to answer his calling in the world of rock and roll? Finally answered by the Green Album, another incredible Weezer moment, but it's been the last decade which has been just phenomenal. The amount of music and shows that the band have done, making up for all those false starts back in the day, and now we're at album number 13. At the core of it, Rivers Cuomo, just an incredibly gifted songwriter, but never have we had a chance to hear songs of his. Melancholy and beautiful, at times sad and heartbreaking, all designed to better uncover the human experience laid bare like this, with full orchestration from a 38-piece orchestra, all recorded in Abbey Road. I mean, the whole thing on paper looks incredible. Wait till you hear it. It's called OK Human. It's a nice nod to Radiohead. We talk about that, amongst other things, in this easily my most personal and yeah sure deepest conversation I've ever had with Rivers from Weezer loved every second that I hope you do too here it is right now in the interview series wow bird with a broken wing that song is unbelievable thanks yeah I love that one I love that song that is like McCartney Harrison levels like that's mastery bro Thanks. Yeah. I, uh, I feel the same way. Like it's so, so moving. Can you, can we talk about that song before we talk any further about this album? Just because I can't shake the image from my head and just like, don't feel bad for me. I'm, I'm right where I want to be like, wow. Like where were you when you wrote that? I, I was literally right here. <laughs> um, and gosh, I'm, gosh, I wasn't prepared to talk about that one. <laughs> I think I was just feeling pretty, uh, pretty irrelevant and passed over and like, uh, past my prime, I guess. And just feeling pretty sorry for myself. No, but wow. You, you really tapped into that emotion and you found something and you were able to express it and turn it into art. I mean, you've probably lost track of the amount of times that music has shown up for you like that, where you just didn't know how else to get past it and a song gave you the key. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point, man. That's, uh, I remember starting in, in my 20s, like my, my, my song started to do that for me. It was just it was the greatest solace you, you could feel in your life uh, is listening back to recording of your song and, and being like, Oh yeah. Like he gets me. (laughs) I get me. It's just, it's to hear it articulated so precisely, uh, is, it's just a wonderful feeling of of being seen and heard. It's the most beautiful trade because you get to better understand yourself in ways you could never do cerebrally. And we get to better understand that we're not alone because there'll be people out there that'll hear bird with a broken wing and go, it's okay. Like, I'm all right. I can feel like this today because it's a totally relevant feeling to feel yeah. irrelevant. 
Well, congratulations on surprising us once again. Your band has just become so full of surprises. I mean, you always were. I mean, you know, from the minute you came out with your debut album and just sold millions of records and then dropped Pinkerton and then disappeared. It's like surprises <laughs> all the time. Um, but I like, much prefer these surprises where we get more music. Yeah. And this record uh, sounds to me like it wasn't part of the plan, um, that it was something that kind of presented itself even to you and the band because I felt like we were on a one-way ticket to Van Weezer. Yeah, well, I think we we started this record in 2017, and it was I, I just went over to Jake's house. Jake is the producer, and he had the idea for the album. It's just like this tiny little seed of an idea he planted in my brain that day. It was all right, just you and a piano, and then an orchestra, and it's going to be like super personal, quirky songs that only you could write, not worrying about commercial potential at all. And and he gave me another album called Nilsson Sings Newman um, that came out in the early 70s. And he said, listen to this, check this out, and then bring in all your, your love of classical music, of Beethoven and Bach, and just really go for it. And it, I was just so excited from day one, and the songs came very quickly and easily. And we recorded, then, then we recorded the strings at Abbey Road. And recorded the band and uh say we're about 90 percent done and then the whole hella mega thing happened it's like okay this is going to be your 2020 you're going out with with green day and fallout boy and you guys better bring the rock because these are the big boys and you want to look good and you're going to be in these stadiums with like eighty thousand screaming rock fans and we're like uh okay we have this piano orchestra <laughs> with introspective songs um, hello miami it's not the weezer show you're expecting <laughs> appreciate your patience so yeah um we we, we decided like, you know what let's let's put this one on hold for a minute and let's make like this killer stadium heavy metal rock album yeah and so we we, we went ahead with van weezer we got that one wrapped up and we're about to put that one out. And then the pandemic happened and the whole tour got bumped to 2021. So at that point, we're like, well, <laughs> we can't put out this heavy metal record now. And no one wants to rock. How can you promote a rock album if you can't rock? Yeah. So, well, um, at that point, we said, let's go back and finish up OK Beautiful. Human. Yeah. And so that, that's where we are now. We've got two albums coming out in space. <laughs> Here's the here's the bittersweet thing that as a Weezer fan, a long suffering and long obsessed Weezer fan who's been just waiting to try and find some kind of rhythm to keep my mind at ease that I'm going to get a Weezer album, I'm not going to get a Weezer album. What's going to happen? How's that going to happen? Right? <laughs> that, that it finally caught up to even you. <laughs> that even you were surprised. Even you're like, man, I can't even control the jokes anymore. Like, jokes on me now. Like, yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, it's good, man. We're Weezer is prepared. Whatever the world throws at, at us, we got an album for you. Yeah, no, you sure do. This is a stunner. Um, and you know, I speak to musicians who get to a point in their lives where they're able to really um, lean into the idea of, of orchestration um, completely. It's something that people dabble in in order to create new emotional resonance in a song. But if you really lean into orchestration completely, it has to be at a certain point in your life and in your career where you really feel like you're emotionally ready to experience that. You know, what was it like for you hearing these songs that you wrote at your piano, sometimes feeling at your most vulnerable come to life with a 38-piece orchestra, which is, I mean, it's an out-of-world experience. 
Oh yeah. It's, Oh my God. I, I knew this day was coming. Like I, I've always been such a fan of classical music and, and opera and, um, and I, I knew it was coming. I, I just, I, I think, and, and yet I, I feel like it's overdue. Like, um, I just kind of got stuck in, in this pattern of, of like, okay, we're a rock band. This is what we do. We don't want to get soft too soon. Um, it's this rock thing seems to be working and, uh, yeah. Uh, but you know, re- really getting encouragement from Jake and then, you know, if there's a light went off, like, Oh, this is going to be great. And then, and then man, hearing it back for the first time with the, the orchestra, it's like, yeah, those are the chords I wrote and that's the melody I wrote, but man, it's just take, it's like so much more width. Yeah, it's like seeing in in three dimensions for the first time or something. It's just gorgeous, and I, I can't believe um, can't believe we haven't done it before. Because you have to get, in my opinion, you have to get to a point where you are emotionally prepared for the experience. You are emotionally prepared for that experience because otherwise, you may not appreciate it for what it really is. Which is, like you said, these ideas and these emotions, these thoughts brought into vivid, just 8, 8K, HD, 3D, just like, you know? <laughs> You've written so many songs, but you can't prepare for, for that. Yeah. I, I would be interesting to go back and hear some of the early albums. Like I was going to ask you, I was going to ask you, which album do you think off the top of your head would be the one that would best fit? Now you've done this experience with an album purposely built for orchestration. Which of your previous Weezer albums do you think would be a, a natural fit on step one? The one I'd be most interested in hearing is Pinkerton. Mm. Those are the most com- complex songs and they're the most emotional songs. And yet um, the the way we record it is so raw, four-piece rock noise. Yeah. Th- you know, I'd be really interested to hear that uh, with an orchestra. You've got such an opportunity now because if you wanted to express it through that, that, that filter because we're entering into a really important milestone i mean 25 years this year for that album that's right yeah um maybe in the fall we can put together some kind of tour with a you know theaters with with an orchestra incredible and do okay human and pinkerton you know so much was was amongst fans who fell in love with you so quickly like it was just an overnight obsession that you know the the debut album really i think we all really got the nuance of the band really quickly as fans, it wasn't like, oh, cool, this fits into the MTV box. You know, it's like, nah, there's something really deep going on here. There's stories here. There's real insecurities and anxieties here. This is what you really look for in a, in a, in a life in a lifetime relationship with music. You know, and right. then Pink, Pinkerton came out, and um, it just seemed like the whole thing had had tipped upside down, and you were searching for a way out of something. And and I think as we get to 25 years on that. Um, I, I sort of wonder how your perspective on that time in your life has changed in relation to that album and who you were and what, what was going on. I don't think my perspective has changed at all. <laughs> um, I, I feel like that was such a rough time and just uh, everything went wrong. And, and, and I, did so, I made so many wrong moves and <laughs> so many self-destructive moves and, and uh, destructive of other people too. So I, I just... So many regrets and like, oh man, like I would not want to go through that again. And uh, I feel like I'm in a much better place. Of course you are. Can you listen to that album? Though? Can you can you reflect on that album as as a body of work? Oh yeah, I um, I love it, and especially love 
I love the sound of my voice. Uh, it, it's very low in the mix. I'd love to hear a, a remix of the vocal louder, but there's just so much pain and and vulnerability in my voice. <laughs> I mean, right from the get go, right from Tide of Sex, which is like uh, at that point in my life, I'd never, I'd only ever heard sex being put on a pedestal. Right. I get so much sex or I want to sex you up or sex is the whole point. Or I'd never heard somebody actually come out and say like, I'm using it to destroy myself. It's, it's a tool to destroy, to help me d- dismantle my self-esteem. Yeah. I'd never heard that before. There's gotta be something more. Yeah. I mean, and, and, the, and th- that moment when you're singing those notes across that album is just, you're right. It's, it's a very raw experience to listen to as a fan. It's funny, isn't it? That we find these albums that sometimes cause the most pain when you make them become the most loved amongst us. Yeah. And the, I don't know if this is disillusioning at all, but I think some of the pain you hear in my voice is actually physical. Like I think at that time I was going through this procedure on my leg where I had all these pins and spikes and wires going through my muscle and bone and uh, for for like a year and a half. And this is constant pain. Wow. And I, I, I went right in the middle of that. I went and recorded the vocals for the album. So it just, I just sound like I've been through a lot. And, yeah. and I think some of that is, is physical and, you know, Maybe if you want to have a really great vocal performance, you could consider some kind of self-torture device. Surgery? <laughs> yeah. Put a clamp on your leg. I mean, they joke about that back in the day. That was always the joke about the Bee Gees, right? Where it's just like, well, you're going to have to put on some tight trousers if you want to sing those notes. Do you know what I mean? But you're, oh. actually, <laughs> you're actually qualifying the fact that physical pain can resonate through an emotional performance, which is incredible, really, because I, I, I never knew that. Yeah. I don't know if I'd, I'd put myself through that again willingly, but yeah. I, I'm, I'm glad it's on the record. Yeah. I mean, what a body of work. Um, more anniversaries to talk about soon, but getting back to this album right here. Um, okay, Human, I have to touch on the title, of course. Um, the idea of, you know, in 1997 when that, that album came out, it felt like uh, we'd, we'd entered into a new dawn. Um, you know, you were a musician at that point. You were an artist at that point. I'm not sure how active you were at that point. I've lost track of the timeline, but I know that Radiohead really put everybody you know, uh, on watch, it was like, yeah. you, you gotta, you gotta go deeper further and you gotta prepare for the future. Um, how impactful was that album to you as a music fan? Because clearly the, the I know that you flipped the term and, and perfectly, I mean, now we have to relate to technology far more than it, it's in reverse. Um, but how imp- impactful was that album in that moment in time? Cause it stayed with you. Oh, it's funny. We, hearing you ask that question, I, I was just suddenly reminded of the story of I don't know if you've heard this, but uh, after Pet Sounds came out, I think the Beatles and the Beach Boys had kind of been in this like uh, arms race with with how amazing their albums were. <laughs> yeah, and the Beatles put their guns down after Pet Sounds. No, no, they they put out what did they put? It's like what came first, Revolver or Rubber Soul? I'm pretty sure Revolver came first. Okay, so Revolver. Wrong. And then the no, Rubber Beach Soul. Boys rubber Soul like, came first, and then Revolver. Okay, yeah, and rubber then. Soul, and then and then Brian Wilson's like, "All right, here's Pet Sounds." Unfortunately, it flopped when it came out, and then the Beatles put out Revolver. So I don't know if we have that backwards, but and that just such as destroyed him. It was like game over for Brian Wilson. At least that's the way I I, I understand it. Yeah, and 
that's kind of what OK Computer was like for me because Pinkerton came out at the end of 96 and it was, it was supposed to be my, uh, our, our magnum opus and it just got destroyed and it's almost like the game over for our band. And then that summer, summer 97, we were on tour opening for No Doubt around the, around the U.S. in these big amphitheaters. And you can imagine what like, like, uh, 15,000 fans of I'm just a girl are, are, are thinking of, of Weezer playing Tired of Sex. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, just not go over. And then, and then one day on the tour bus, uh, the, the guys are like, check it out. It's, it's the new Radiohead single. And it turned on MTV and, and it was Paranoid Android. It completely, you know, obliterated me. <laughs> and then uh, at the end of the tour, there was, I remember there was a big, some kind of uh, like album release party for, for that, for OK Computer at, at the Mondrian in, in, in Hollywood. And I went there and I was just like, I was like a nobody sitting there and and, and Radiohead's moment of glory. And, uh, and it was this, you know, these twin feelings of, of, you know, pain and, and jealousy. And at the same time, like this, this music they made is, is so otherworldly and inspiring. Um, so it was, a, it was a real push and pull in my heart at that moment. You weren't alone. There was a lot of people who don't make music with any sense of competition, really, even though it kind of is just a little bit below the surface, but you just learn that on the playground. That's just like, you didn't like me in school, so I'll show you. And you carry that with you. So, you know, in your adolescence as an artist, even with success, you just carry it with you. There's a little bit of fuck you going on there. You know what I mean? But, 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 no one's, but no one's really thinking about it on a competitive level. And then an album like that comes out and you get drawn unwillingly into that. And I've spoken to so many artists who listened to that album and had to rethink. They had to go away and rethink because what they captured with Nigel Godrich was that moment. It was that moment where, you know, humanity and the ability to record with technology and they were desperate. They'd had that second album, which had done great and it was brilliant and everything, but they couldn't, if they made another one of those, they were going to end up being a Britpop band. Mm. And that was coming to an end. Mm-hmm. You know, the idea of like just jangly acoustic guitars, you know, that's all you got. You got these five instruments. They came out and they were like, we got to change. And if they hadn't made that record, and look where they went. They went off into outer space after that. So it's like, okay, computer sounds positively pedestrian compared to what they've done since then. Right. That's <laughs> interesting. It's so, so crazy. So, you know, you weren't alone. It was a it was a huge moment, you know, bringing that, that up to date and, and being able to sort of find some closure with your album title with Okie Human, which is brilliant. And, and I think that hearing the themes throughout the record, the idea of trying to reconnect with your own sense of humanity while technology constantly tries to pry you away, yeah, constantly tries to draw you into a reality, which isn't what you were born with. It's manifested in it and it's a construct. How was it writing that almost as a, with a concept in mind? Yeah, maybe, it, maybe it's just a coincidence, but it seems like Jake's sense of production and, and also um, our drummer Pat is a very big influence on the on the way the album was recorded. This is very in line with like a, a, a questioning of of current recording technology, if not technology in general. So there's no I don't I don't know if you, how much you know about recording these days, but most recordings are done on on a grid where every yeah. every drum beat every note gets locked to a grid and it's all perfectly in time and 
is very rare to not record that way, but we, we didn't use a grid at all. It's like Pat, Pat uh, just went in and played whatever came to his mind and the songs speed up and slow down. And in the middle of uh, one song, his wife calls him on his phone and he's, he stopped playing. <laughs> on La Brea, is that him. on La Brea? Yeah, he stops <laughs> playing and he picks, you can hear him talking to his wife and then he's like, okay, bye baby. Hangs up and he starts playing again. I didn't realize that was actually a legit thing. I thought that was a bit of yeah. a studio in joke. I didn't realize he got called during the day. Yeah, so it's like the rest of us musicians are trying to play along to this, and uh, the the reduction in computer sounds and electronics is really dramatic. I mean, I was thinking about it. Not only aren't, aren't there things like synthesizers and drum machines and samples. There's not even an electric guitar on this album. No, nowhere to be found. Yeah, we're, we're going back to instruments from centuries back. If you're talking about violins and cellos, and it's it's like some pretty ancient technology. That that was that was really Jake's idea and uh, and Pat's idea, and uh, I think coincidentally, I, I've I've just lyrically just been very um, just searching searching through my anxieties like i'm so anxious about looking around my house and seeing okay there's there's one child on that device there's the other child on that device my wife's over there on that device next door my mom my mom's on that device. you know everyone's looking in a different direction at a different device and uh you know that's the way things are going uh, nothing i can do about it but it's i just can't help but feel a sense of loss and anxiety about it I do too. I have this conversation sporadically with my with my family where I'm like, you know, can't we just pull together, you know? And we do, you know, and and, and they're receptive to it. But you know, it, it's always a an intermission. It's it's never the full thing. It's like, okay, let's take a break from what we're doing over here and then come together. And to your point, I, I can't tell whether I'm just softening because I'm recognizing that perhaps this is just the way we're designed to move forward. This is what it is. It, it, it becomes. Yeah. I, what I keep thinking is like, man, 20 years from now, are we going to look back on this time nostalgically? Like, remember when we all used to be like, you know, we could physically see each other and we like, like this was a time of human connection compared to what it's going to be in 2040, 2050. Uh, uh, who knows? Yeah. Well, you know, thank God we have these songs to remind us. Um, do you ever think about that? Do you ever sort of take enough of a step back or, or seek enough altitude to, to reflect upon the music that you've made that lasts forever? That, that these inner thoughts that you've had and these emotions that you share, ultimately, to some degree, they are, you know, observations that sit in a library and can be drawn upon at any given moment. I guess I don't really, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just always have this deep assumption like of the impermanence of, everything I do and like, Oh, well, this is going to, this will be, uh, somewhere in oblivion pretty soon. Um, <laughs> uh, forgotten completely. Um, you know, but as you find yourself sort of moving through life and being, you know, a husband and a father and a son and all those things that really matter, um, how do you, how do you reckon with that? Because that sense of pessimism clearly is a part of what drives your artistic spirit and yet I know that you've been searching for growth, right? You yourself said you're in a much better place in 2021 than you were back in the early to mid nineties. So how does that relationship between those two things, the field that drives your art versus the human being who wants to actually show up in, in the right way? 
I don't know. I, I don't feel like it's, I don't think it's that bad of an influence. I feel like it, it, it helps, helps me uh, have some kind of detachment and not take things too seriously, I think. That's interesting that, 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 that it actually acts as a tool and enables you to, con- actually acts as a tool and that, that enables you to continue to do what you do. Yeah. I, I think if, if I was super attached to uh, having uh, some kind of permanent legacy or having some kind of massive success, I, I might, I don't know, I might be even more tormented and uh, maybe a, a little harder to work with. But as it is, I just kind of put out a record and forget it and move on and <laughs> always in the moment. One of the most beautiful songs on this album um, on OK Human is Playing My Piano. Yeah. I love that song so much because you are immediately drawn into that experience of, of somebody just finding their, that wonderful isolation that comes from getting lost in, it in, in, in that moment, playing that kind of piano. Um, what do you get out of that experience that, that, that you weren't able to sort of communicate on the song? If you could elaborate a little bit on how it, it, it differs for you than, than being in a room with a bunch of friends rocking out or on a stage or how does it feed your soul just sitting there and, and playing? It's weird. I, I feel like naturally I'm this amazing musician and composer. Like I was born that way, but I I didn't get any training, and so I have very little skill. Uh, I'm I feel that way as a piano player and as a singer too. Like I, in inside, I'm like Luciano Pavarotti. I have this huge voice and hit all these glorious high notes, but. I actually don't have the uh, instrument for it in my throat. So when I'm when I'm here in my room, I just I I can lock. I have the door locked, and in some cases, even put a sound machine outside. It's like nobody can see me, nobody can hear me, and uh, I don't really have to face the reality of of my limited skills. And in my mind, I'm just I'm just like I'm just jamming away on the piano, and it sounds <laughs> like I sound like Beethoven. Puccini singing like Pavarotti and uh and I think it's it allows me to go to all these places that I I I really I really get so much pleasure out of and then I um you know the next day I can come back and listen to what I recorded (laughs) it's it's pretty pathetic but I can you know the ideas are in there and I can go in there and and uh practice them and touch them up and hand them off to some you know, actual skilled musicians and, uh, and it ends up sounding really great. I love that. It's a beautiful process. Is there a song on this record? Um, maybe with the exception of Bird with a Broken Wing, cause we talked openly about that, that really enabled you to, to unpack something that, um, that had been, had been deep inside you that you, that you couldn't have communicated. Um, is there one song that really springs to mind that, 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 that was particularly personal to you? I mean, we, we already talked about Screen. Like, there's a song called Screens, which addresses all, all my anxieties about uh, what, we're, what we're talking about with people detaching from other humans and yeah. spending all their time connected to screens. Okay, Numbers. That one is very personal. I love that one. Yeah, it's, it's like, I think I was in a really good mood and I was feeling like, wow, Weezer's pretty great. I'm pretty great. And I, I think I must have looked on an email or a, like a billboard chart somewhere and, and, and got some, some bad data. Some, some, there was a number next to my name or Weezer's name that, that told me 
you know what? You kind of suck, man. <laughs> You're not really that great. I don't know what, like we were like falling down a chart or something. And immediately my mood was crushed. And so I was, I was just thinking like, there, there's always a number. If you, if you look, there's, you're always going to find a number that, that makes you feel bad about yourself. Yeah. So that's like that's the opening line of the song. And, you know, obviously for a, a musician like myself, that's true. But I think everyone has different, different scales they may look at to, to end up feeling pretty bad about themselves. There's always data out there. It's, I'm fascinated with the relationship between math and music because basically it's all math, but 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 really that's just the language that is used and to to connect to something that really isn't isn't you, you can't align it to any kind of equation at all. A song like that, even though it's made from a mathematical equation, and now we exist in this world. To your point with OK Human, where so many decisions are made to the rise and fall of art based on math. Yeah, it's all math. And when I was growing up, man, you picked up an instrument because you were. Sh- math <laughs> <laughs> yep same here <laughs> and it's just all it's just all math now um you know and i guess that, that, that to some degree what that song speaks to right is just the idea of like how do you get past that that song just just fell out of me there is a really really emotional moment and ever since then i've been much more careful about you know i'm not even gonna look i don't care where we are on the chart or um, I, you know, cause the more you, if you start looking, you're going to just look until you find something bad. Yeah. At least that's how I am. So like, as soon as I start to look, I'm like, oh yeah, I remember the song says, forget about it. But even when, even when charts really mattered, right. In the early st- stages of the band, um, all the way through. So I would say the first three albums, right. When you came back with the green album and it was a colossal success and everyone welcomed you back with open arms. I, I still never got the feeling like that, that made you happy. <laughs> I never got the feeling like, you know, being a number one band was the driving force. If it was, you wouldn't have gone back to university or college, you know? Yeah. Well, it, it's, it's never enough. It's, uh, and cause we weren't, we were number two, we weren't number one. So it's like, damn it. <laughs> um, and this is my nature. It's like, it's, it's never enough. I'll, I'll, I'll keep looking until I find a number that, that tells me I'm, I'm not, not good enough. So how do you find the strength to um, get past that? Um, are, are you, do you look within as opposed to external metrics of value? Are you getting better at understanding your own personal value? Do you meditate? How do you find a balance in terms of calming, st- st- creating stillness within that chaos? Yeah, well, um, I, d- I do meditate. I just got out of a 10-day meditation course. I've been going for 18 years. Absolutely wow. love it. And, uh, but I have this very like deep tendency to... to uh, to feel bad about myself. And so, you know, you just have to retrain yourself and not look that kind of stuff. Um, meditation helps. Yeah. Well, I've just started again. I mean, I've, I've had an on and off relationship with it, never really taken it up properly. And I realized getting to this point in my life, I really wanted to stick at it. So I, I, I decided it wasn't going to land on my lap. I needed to show discipline and practice like everybody else, you know, and, and I just, you know, what is, what was the moment? What was the breakthrough moment for you? Because I, I, I know it's coming for me. But I haven't had, I've had, I've had moments where I've been sitting for 20, 30, 40 minutes and my visualization is effortless and I'm able to just disappear and let go. But it's, I can't get, it's not something I can switch on and off, you know? Hmm. Well, I mean, it's, it doesn't really matter uh, what, what state of consciousness you attain while, while you're doing the practice. It's, it's where you get the benefit from just trying the practice. Uh, it's 
just like lifting weights or some kind of physical training, you, you get the be- It doesn't matter how much you end up lifting. It's just you lift as much as you can, and that's what you get the benefit from. Um, but for me, I, I really bottomed out in 2002, 2000, beginning of 2003. And I was just totally desperate to, to try anything to recover my creativity and get myself out of all kinds of personal trouble. And that's when we started working with Rick Rubin. And, you know, famously, he's a, a big meditator. And yeah. he saw something in me. He was like, maybe this guy would, would benefit from meditation. And he suggested it. At first, I was like, no, man, that's totally, that's exactly wrong. That's going to make me all calm and I'll have nothing to write about. I need drama. I need personal tragedy. <laughs> and he's like, okay, cool. And uh, but a few Let's months see later, works out for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I had tr- tried everything else, and I just I couldn't feel inspired. So I I went and I went online, and I found this one meditation center, and went th- I went there for the ten day intro course, and I just been going back ever since. I love it so much. This year is lining up big. This album is such a joy. And it's such a beautiful way to start the year to hear these songs brought to life in this way and hear the vocals just soar above it without necessarily having to compete with the band in the way that you have before. And you, you hold your own. But when Weezer's rocking out, Weezer's rocking out. Yeah, I'm really cu- curious to see what the fans think because, uh, you know, the big guitars have always been a core part of what a Weezer record is. And there's none of that on this record for the first time. And I haven't heard, I haven't talked to a single person who even missed it a single bit. So I'm, I'm really curious to see what the, what Weezer World says about this record. Well, because I think the orchestration and your voice really, I think, I think Pat, he, he was right, you know, to bring the band into an environment where the performance was natural and, and the chemistry was in play. It, 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 it stirs a performance within you that a computer can never capture because you're going to sit there and overanalyze your performance, 55 takes, which one's the best one. You have to rise to the occasion now. When yeah. You're doing your like you have to, and these songs deserve it. Yeah. So before I let you go, I got to get one more point. Maybe we'll talk about this in more detail a bit later on, but you know, you're also entering in outside of Hell Omega being back on the books and fingers crossed that's going to continue. And we, we, we live in hope that by September we'll be, we'll be back on track. Um, but let's talk a little bit about the green record and 20 years on that. So to two anniversaries in one go, you know, so Pinkerton at 25 green album at 20, you'd made the decision to come back by that point you decided that you were going to give Weezer another go, but it hadn't been as cut and dry as that, right? I mean, there was a lot of push and pull, I guess, internally. Oh, yeah, man. It's, I, like, I almost didn't make it back. It's, 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 hard, it's hard to remember what that was like, but I mean, I think as far as most people thought, Weezer was done. It was like, first record was came out of nowhere, kind of a one-hit wonder, and then second record, did it even come out? Nobody even, it was a complete, complete flop, and in those days, probably even now too, like that kind of means you're, you're done. <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go back to LA. I'm going to get a rehearsal space. I'm going to lock myself in there. I'm going to, I'm going to work. I'm going to focus. I'm going to get this other album done. I was like 97 after the, okay, the okay. Computer party I told you about. Yeah. And <laughs> it took five years, man. It's like, I had just had no confidences. <laughs> um, <laughs> But once once we came back from that, I was like, okay, if I can come back from that, I think we're pretty much good from here on out. I can get through anything. Can you thinking back to it now? Can you 
establish, you know, a singular kind of moment or song or something where you knew you, that you'd broken the back of it, that you knew that this was something you were going to be able to come back from? I never got that feeling from any of those songs or, wow. or from the album. It was more just sheer force of will. Like I don't have any confidence still after five years, but I've got to put this out. I've got to get back in the game just, just to get the machinery moving again. And hopefully at some point the confidence is going to come back. Was it tough to convince the people around you who probably felt like this is not an investment anymore? Like no more funding for the band, you know, was it really hard just not to convince just yourself, but, and you had the band who had your back, but everyone else to, to, to really kind of open the door and let you back in. Cause I mean, when Hashpipe came out, man, it was like, you kicked that fucking door in hard. Yeah. Uh, well, we did have a, a big helping hand. Uh, it came, it came from the fans. Um, you know, when, when Pinkerton first came out and the whole thing fell apart there, there, there wasn't really, uh, you know, this killer hardcore fan community, but over the next few years, unbeknownst to me locked away in my rehearsal space in West LA, there's like, uh, people started to fall in love with that album and to fall in love with the band in a really heavy way. And as the years went by, it just, that, that demand for Weezer grew and grew. I, again, like I had no idea this was happening. And it wasn't until like, I think the beginning of 2000, one of my friends said he was in a, in a small band that just in this van tour around the country. And he's like, do you know that like there's kids all over the country who totally love Pinkerton and love your band? And I was like, what, really? <laughs> like, yeah, it's like, it's, it's taking on this new life. So I was like, okay. And then I remember... That spring, we got an offer for a show out of nowhere, and it was from Japan. And it was for like like 10 times the amount of money we'd ever received for a show. Like We had, we just played small venues and never really made any money on the road. Suddenly, we got this massive offer. And like that kind of, those kind of numbers make you feel like, wow, maybe there's some life in this thing yet. I love that. You know, Pinkerton to me is a classic in the regard, in the same vein as a Paul's Boutique, you know. It set the Beastie Boys on a whole other path to have to make changes and figure it out just like you did with the Green Album and yet that album goes gone on to just breathe and live and you do when you do make these records and you release them, you do have to let them go, don't you? They take on a life of their own. And that's never more evident than in that example of Pinkerton being probably the first child that you released that actually just lived its own life. Yeah, it's it's been wild to watch. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's interesting you brought up Paul's Boutique because I was wondering about this recently. I remember people around that time, when around the time the Green Album came out, they were saying, like, you know, the Pinkerton has turned into the new Paul's Boutique, this yeah. this album that it got trashed when it came out, but years later is, like, super important. Uh, I was wondering, have have there been other albums like that since Pinkerton? You know, I'm I'm sure there are rap records that people really demolished when they first came out that over time people have started to appreciate. You know, I think that not to the same degree, I think, once social media kicked in. Because the, because you got to remember with a Pinkerton and a Paul's Boutique, it took people, people had to, had to um, breathe new life into their record via word of mouth. 
Right. So it would be one friend would tell another friend, you like Pinkerton? I like Pinkerton. And hey, you're wearing a Pinkerton t-shirt. I love that album. And it takes a few years for that to build into a momentum that your friend's going to report back to you. Hey, there's kids all over America who love Pinkerton, but they were working, they were working that out for two or three years. Yeah. Working out some kind of unofficial little momentum, some clubhouse where they could all appreciate that record. Now I think if you release an album, like Playboy Cardi just released this album, Whole Lot of Red. And if you read the reviews online when it came out on social media, the way everyone was responding to it, it was like, oh, it's so disappointing. Oh, it's a six out of 10 at best. Oh, I waited for two years for this. Da 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 yada, yada, yada. Within a week, that album was streaming through the roof. If people could have reviewed that record in hindsight, they would have added two more stars onto it. And everyone right. fell in love with it much, much quicker because I do think that that momentum of communication happens now through social media. Whereas you guys, man, you're ahead of the curve. You made a classic album. It just took people four years to admit it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. So it's a, it's a whole different way of communicating around music now, which breathes new life into it. Um, but the good news is that you guys are, you summed it up so beautifully before you're like, Weezer's ready for anything. And uh, you really are. I mean, the fact that we get to talk now about, a, a, you know, what is effectively a group of beautiful personal songs with classical arrangement, you're ready for anything. I dare you to take it to Hell Omega. I dare you to bring out a quartet <laughs> for at least three songs. I dare you to. I double dare you to. <laughs> that is such a great idea. It's so good to see you, man. I really enjoyed our conversation and uh, hopefully we'll get to touch base again when Van Weezer's ready. I always enjoy our time, bro. Thank you so much. Rivers from the band Weezer. Please try the fish. The album OK Human. Stream it now on Apple Music and get ready for Van Weezer, the return to full-blown rockness and the Halamega tour. Gosh, you know, just looking forward to the day when we can all come together as a community and love live music again as one. Thanks to Rivers and thanks to everyone for making that happen. If you listen to it all the way through, please rate it, add a comment. I read them and also subscribe and get ready for another conversation very soon. I believe we stay in the world of rock and roll. Dave Grohl coming up next week.